Chapter Twenty Two, Part One, of the Italian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe, Chapter Twenty Two, Part One, read by Gary Day. Mark where you ruin frowns upon the steep, the giant spectre of departed power. Within those shadowy walls and silent chambers have stalked the crimes of days long past. On this day Scadoni was more communicative than on the preceding one. While they rode apart from the guide, he conversed with Elena on various topics relative to herself, but without once alluding to Vivaldi, and even condescended to mention his design of disposing of her in a convent at some distance from Naples, till it should be convenient for him to acknowledge her as his daughter. But the difficulty of finding a suitable situation embarrassed him, and he was disconcerted by the awkwardness of introducing her himself to strangers, whose curiosity would be heightened by a sense of their interest. These circumstances induced him the more easily to attend to the distress of Elena, on her learning that she was again to be placed at a distance from her home, and among strangers, and the more willingly to listen to the account she gave of the convent of Santa Maria della Pieta, and to her request of returning thither. But in whatever degree he might be inclined to approve, he listened without consenting, and Elena only had the consolation of perceiving that he was not absolutely determined to adopt his first plan. Her thoughts were too deeply engaged upon her future prospects to permit leisure for present fears, or probably she would have suffered some return of those of yesterday, in traversing the lonely plains and rude valleys through which the road lay. Scadoni was thankful to the landlord, who had advised him to keep the guide, the road being frequently obscured amongst the wild heaths that stretched around, and the eye often sweeping over long tracts of country, without perceiving a village or any human dwelling. During the whole morning they had not met one traveller, and they continued to proceed beneath the heat of the noon, because Scadoni had been unable to discover even a cottage in which shelter and repose might be obtained. It was late in the day when the guide pointed out the grey walls of an edifice, which crowned the acclivity they were approaching. But this was so shrouded among woods, that no feature of it could be distinctly seen, and it did but slightly awaken their hopes of approaching a convent which might receive them with hospitality. The high bank, overshadowed with thickets, between which the road ascended, soon excluded even a glimpse of the walls, but as the travellers turned the next projection, they perceived a person on the summit of the road, crossing as if towards some place of residence, and concluded that the edifice they had seen was behind the trees, among which she had disappeared. A few moments brought them to the spot, where, retired at a short distance among the woods that browed the hill, they discovered the extensive remains of what seemed to have been a villa, and which, from the air of desolation it exhibited, Scadoni would have judged to have been wholly deserted, had he not already seen a person enter. Wearied and exhausted, he determined to ascertain whether any refreshment could be procured from the inhabitants within and the party alighted before the portal of a deep and broad avenue of arched stone, which seemed to have been the grand approach to the villa. 
The entrance was obstructed by fallen fragments of columns, and by the underwood that had taken root amongst them. The travellers, however, easily overcame these interruptions. But as the avenue was of considerable extent, and as its only light proceeded from the portal, except what a few narrow loops in the walls admitted, they soon found themselves involved in an obscurity that rendered the way difficult, and Skidoni endeavoured to make himself heard by the person he had seen. The effort was unsuccessful, but as they proceeded a bend in the passage showed a distant glimmering of light, which served to guide them to the opposite entrance, where an arch opened immediately into a court of the villa. Skidoni paused here in disappointment, for every object seemed to bear evidence of abandonment and desolation, and he looked almost hopelessly round the light colonnade which ran along three sides of the court, and to the trees that waved over the fourth in search of the person who had been seen from the road. No human figure stole upon the vacancy, yet the apt fears of Elena almost imagined the form of Spalatro gliding behind the columns, and she started as the air shook over the wild plants that wreathed them, before she discovered that it was not the sound of steps. At the extravagance of her suspicions, however, and the weakness of her terrors, she blushed, and endeavoured to resist that propensity to fear which nerves long pressed upon had occasioned in her mind. Skidoni, meanwhile, stood in the court, like the evil spirit of the palace, examining its desolation, and endeavouring to ascertain whether any person lurked in the interior of the building. Several doorways in the colonnade appeared to lead to chambers of the villa, and after a short hesitation, Skidoni, having determined to pursue his inquiry, entered one of them, and passed through a marble hall to a suite of rooms, whose condition told how long it was since they had been inhabited. The roof had entirely vanished, and even portions of the walls had fallen, and lay in masses amongst the woods without. Perceiving that it was as useless as difficult to proceed, the confessor returned to the court, where the shade of the palmettos at least offered an hospitable shelter to the wearied travellers. They reposed themselves beneath the branches, on some fragments of a marble fountain, whence the court opened to the extensive landscape, now mellowed by the evening beams and partook of the remains of a repast which had been deposited in the wallet of the guide. "'This place appears to have suffered from an earthquake rather than from time,' said Skidoni, "'for the walls, though shattered, do not seem to have decayed, and much that has been strong lies in ruins, while what is comparatively slight remains uninjured. These are certainly symptoms of partial shocks of the earth. Do you know anything of the history of this place, friend?' "'Yes, Signor,' replied the guide. "'Relate it, then?' "'I shall never forget the earthquake that destroyed it, Signor, "'for it was felt all through the Garganus. "'I was then about sixteen, "'and I remember it was near an hour before midnight "'that the great shock was felt. "'The weather had been almost stifling for several days. "'Scarcely a breath of air had stirred, "'and slight tremblings of the ground were noticed by many people.' I had been out all day cutting wood in the forest with my father, and tired enough we were, when— This is the history of yourself, said Skidoni, interrupting him. Who did this place belong to? 
Did any person suffer here? said Elena. The Baroni di Cambrusca lived here, replied the guide. Ah, the Baroni, repeated Scadoni, and sunk into one of his customary fits of abstraction. He was a signor little loved in the country, continued the guide, and some people said it was a judgment upon him for— Was it not rather a judgment upon the country? interrupted the confessor, lifting up his head, and then sinking again into silence. I know not for that, signor, but he had committed crimes enough to make one's hair stand on end. It was here that he— Fools are always wondering at the actions of those above them, said Scadoni testily. Where is the barony now? I cannot tell, signor, but most likely where he deserves to be, for he has never been heard of since the night of the earthquake, and it is believed he was buried under the ruins. Did any other person suffer? repeated Elena. You shall hear, signora, replied the peasant. I happen to know something about the matter, because a cousin of ours lived in the family at the time and my father has often told me all about it, as well as of the late lord's goings-on. It was near midnight when the great shock came, and the family, thinking of nothing at all, had supped, and been asleep some time. Now it happened that the baroni's chamber was in a tower of the old building, at which people often wondered, because, said they, why should he choose to sleep in the old part, when there are so many fine rooms in the new villa? But so it was. Come, dispatch your meal, said Scadoni, awaking from his deep musing. The sun is setting, and we have yet far to go. I will finish the meal and the story together, signora, with your leave, replied the guide. Scadoni did not notice what he said, and as the man was not forbidden, he proceeded with his relation. Now it happened that the Baroni's chamber was in that old tower. If you look this way, signora, you may see what is left of it. Elena turned her attention to where the guide pointed, and perceived the shattered remains of a tower rising beyond the arch through which she had entered the court. "'You see that corner of a window-case, left in the highest part of the wall, Signora,' continued the guide, "'just by that tuft of ash that grows out of the stone?' "'I observe,' said Elena. "'Well, that was one of the windows of the very chamber, Signora.' and you see scarcely anything else is left of it. Yes, there is the door-case, too, but the door itself is gone, and that little staircase which you see beyond it led up to another story, which nobody now would ever guess had been, for roof and flooring and all are fallen. I wonder how that little staircase in the corner happened to hold so fast. Have you almost done? inquired Scadoni who had not apparently attended to anything the man had said, and now alluded to the refreshment he was taking. "'Yes, signor, I have not a great deal more to tell, or to eat either, for that matter,' replied the guide. "'But you shall bear.' "'Well, yonder was the very chamber, signora, at that door-case, which is still in the wall. The baroni came in. Ah, he little thought, I warrant, that he should never more go out at it. How long he had been in the room I do not know nor whether he was asleep or awake, for there is no one that can tell. But when the great shock came, it split the old tower at once, before any other part of the buildings. You see that heap of ruins yonder, on the ground, signor? There lies the remains of the chamber. 
The Baroni, they say, was buried under them. Elena shuddered while she gazed upon this destructive mass. A groan from Scadoni startled her, and she turned towards him, but as he appeared shrouded in meditation, she again directed her attention to this awful memorial. As her eye passed upon the neighbouring arch, she was struck with the grandeur of its proportions, and with its singular appearance, now that the evening rays glanced upon the overhanging shrubs, and darted a line of partial light athwart the avenue beyond. But what was her emotion, when she perceived a person gliding away in the perspective of the avenue? And as he crossed where the gleam fell, distinguished the figure and countenance of Spalatro. She had scarcely power faintly to exclaim, Steps go there, before he had disappeared. And when Scadoni looked around, the vacuity and silence of solitude everywhere prevailed. Elena now did not scruple positively to affirm that she had seen Spalatro, and Scadoni, fully sensible that if her imagination had not deluded her, the purpose of his thus tracing their route must be desperate, immediately rose, and followed by the peasant, passed into the avenue to ascertain the truth, leaving Elena alone in the court. He had scarcely disappeared before the danger of his adventuring into that obscure passage, where an assassin might strike unseen, forcibly occurred to Elena, and she loudly conjured him to return. She listened for his voice, but only heard his retreating steps. When, too anxious to remain where she was, she hastened to the entrance of the avenue. But all was now hushed. Neither voice nor steps were distinguished. Awed by the gloom of the place, she feared to venture further, yet almost equally dreaded to remain alone in any part of the ruin, while a man so desperate as Spalatro was hovering about it. As she listened at the entrance to the avenue, a faint cry, which seemed to issue from the interior of the villa, reached her. The first dreadful surmise that struck Elena was that they were murdering her father, who had probably been decoyed by another passage back into some chamber of the ruin, when, instantly forgetting every fear for herself, she hastened towards the spot whence she judged the sound to have issued. She entered the hall which Scadoni had noticed, and passed on through a suite of apartments beyond. Everything here, however, was silent, and the place apparently deserted. The suite terminated in a passage that seemed to lead to a distant part of the villa, and Elena, after a momentary hesitation, determined to follow it. She made her way with difficulty between the half-demolished walls, and was obliged to attend so much to her steps that she scarcely noticed whither she was going, till the deepening shade of the place recalling her attention she perceived herself among the ruins of the tower, whose history had been related by the guide, and on looking up, observed she was at the foot of the staircase, which still wound up the wall that had led to the chamber of the baroni. At a moment less anxious, the circumstance would have affected her, but now she could only repeat her calls upon the name of Scadoni, and listen for some signal that he was near. Still receiving no answer, nor hearing any further sound of distress, she began to hope that her fears had deceived her, and having ascertained that the passage terminated here, she quitted the spot. On regaining the first chamber, 
Elena rested for a moment to recover breath, and while she leaned upon what had once been a window, opening to the court, she heard a distant report of firearms. The sound swelled, and seemed to revolve along the avenue through which Scudoni had disappeared. Supposing that the combatants were engaged at the furthest entrance, Elena was preparing to go thither, when a sudden step moved near her, and on turning she discovered, with a degree of horror that almost deprived her of recollection, Spalatro himself stealing along the very chamber in which she was. That part of the room which she stood in fell into a kind of recess, and whether it was this circumstance that prevented him from immediately perceiving her, or that his chief purpose being directed against another object, he did not choose to pause here. He passed on with skulking steps, and before Elena had determined whither to go, she observed him cross the court before her and enter the avenue. As he had passed, he looked up at the window, and it was certain he then saw her, for he instantly faltered, but in the next moment proceeded swiftly, and disappeared in the gloom. It seemed that he had not yet encountered Scudoni, but it also occurred to Elena that he was gone into the avenue for the purpose of waiting to assassinate him in the darkness. While she was meditating some means of giving the confessor a timely alarm of his danger, she once more distinguished his voice. It approached from the avenue, and Elena immediately called aloud that Spalatro was there, entreating him to be on his guard. At the next instant a pistol was fired there. Among the voices that succeeded the report, Elena thought she distinguished groans. Scudoni's voice was in the next moment heard again, but it seemed faint and low. The courage which she had before exerted was now exhausted. She remained fixed to the spot, unable to encounter the dreadful spectacle that probably awaited her in the avenue, and almost sinking beneath the expectation of it. All was now hushed. She listened for Scudoni's voice, and even for a footstep, in vain. To endure this state of uncertainty much longer was scarcely possible, and Elena was endeavouring to collect fortitude to meet a knowledge of the worst, when suddenly a feeble groaning was again heard. It seemed near, and to be approaching still nearer. At that moment Elena, on looking towards the avenue, perceived a figure covered with blood passing to the court. A film which drew over her eyes prevented her noticing further. She tottered a few paces back, and caught at the fragment of a pillar by which she supported herself. The weakness was transient. Immediate assistance appeared necessary to the wounded person, and pity soon predominating over horror, she recalled her spirits and hastened to the court. When on reaching it she looked around in search of Skidoni, he was nowhere to be seen. The court was again solitary and silent, till she awakened all its echoes with the name of Father. While she repeated her calls, she hastily examined the colonnade, the separated chamber, which immediately opened from it, and the shadowy ground beneath the palmettos, but without discovering any person. As she turned towards the avenue, however, the track of blood on the ground told her too certainly where the wounded person had passed. It guided her to the entrance of a narrow passage that seemingly led to the front of the tower, but here she hesitated, fearing to trust the obscurity beyond. 
For the first time, Helena conjectured that not Skidoni, but Spellatro might be the person she had seen, and that though he was wounded, vengeance might give him strength to strike his stiletto at the heart of whomsoever approached him, while the duskiness of the place would hide the deed. She was yet at the entrance to the passage, fearful to enter and reluctant to leave it, listening for a sound, and still hearing at intervals swelling through feeble groans, when quick steps were suddenly heard advancing up the grand avenue, and presently her own name was repeated loudly in the voice of Skidoni. His manner was hurried as he advanced to meet her, and he threw an eager glance round the court. "'We must be gone,' said he, in a low tone, and taking her arm within his. "'Have you seen any one pass?' "'I have seen a wounded man enter the court,' replied Elena, "'and feared he was yourself.' "'Where? Which way did he go?' inquired Skidoni eagerly, while his eyes glowed and his countenance became fell. Elena, instantly comprehending his motive for the question, would not acknowledge that she knew whither Spalatro had withdrawn, and reminding him of the danger of their situation, she entreated that they might quit the villa immediately. "'The sun is already set,' she added. "'I tremble at what may be the perils of this place at such an obscure hour.' and even at what may be those of our road at a later. "'You are sure he was wounded?' said the confessor. "'Too sure,' replied Elena faintly. "'Too sure?' sternly exclaimed Skidoni. "'Let us depart, my father. Oh, let us go this instant,' repeated Elena. "'What is the meaning of all this?' asked Skidoni with anger. "'You cannot surely have the weakness to pity this fellow.' "'It is terrible to see any one suffer,' said Elena. "'Do not, by remaining here, leave me a possibility of grieving for you. "'What anguish it would occasion you to see me bleed! "'Judge, then, what must be mine, if you are wounded by the dagger of an assassin.' Skidoni stifled the groan which swelled from his heart, and abruptly turned away. "'You trifle with me,' he said, in the next moment. "'You do not know that the villain is wounded.' I fired at him, it is true, at the instant I saw him enter the avenue. But he has escaped me. What reason have you for your supposition? Elena was going to point to the track of blood on the ground, at a little distance, but checked herself, considering that this might guide him on to Spalatro. And again she entreated they might depart, adding, Oh, spare yourself and him! What? Spare an assassin? said Skidoni impatiently. "'An assassin? Has he then attempted your life?' exclaimed Elena. "'Why, no, not absolutely that,' said Skidoni, recollecting himself. "'But what does the fellow do here? Let me pass, I will find him.' Elena still hung upon his garment, while with persuasive tenderness she endeavoured to awaken his humanity. "'Oh, if you have ever known what it was to expect instant death,' she continued, "'you would pity this man now.' as he perhaps has sometimes pitied others. I have known such suffering, my father, and can therefore feel even for him. "'Do you know for whom you are pleading?' said the distracted Skidoni, while every word she had uttered seemed to have penetrated his heart. The surprise which this question awakened in Elena's countenance recalled him to a consciousness of his imprudence. He recollected that Elena did not certainly know the office with which Spalatro had been commissioned against her, 
and when he considered that this very Spalatro, whom Elena had, with such simplicity, supposed to have had, at some time, spared a life through pity, had in truth spared her own, and yet more had eventually a means of preventing him from destroying his own child. The confessor turned in horror from his design. All his passions changed, and he abruptly quitted the court, nor paused till he reached the furthest extremity of the avenue, where the guide was in waiting with the horses. End of chapter 22 Part 1